this is the first Sunday after Christmas, so it's really the Christmas theme that uh, moves through the readings. So I'm going to repeat myself from what I said on Christmas uh, about uh, Christmas uh, and some other things initially, and then focus, though, on, on what was not in the Christmas liturgies, and that's the gospel uh, for well, Christmas Day it was, but today also we read the Johannine Prologue, the introduction to John's Gospel, which gives us a testimony and a statement about uh, maybe the meaning of John's Gospel and also uh, the meaning of the Incarnation. It's very important and one of my favorite uh, sections in the New Testament. Uh, I began the sermons on Christmas talking a little bit about some of the, the, the issues that get raised this time of year about Christian claims, about God being a human being, about all of the issues of traditional religion and how there's an enormous amount of skepticism. In one sense, there always has been, but because we're on a 24-7 news cycle and we have the Internet, there's a lot of people who are able more easily to uh, get out their views that this is maybe... Uh, not worth believing in. And so I, I shared with uh, you something that is, I've been doing a lot of reading about. The uh, uh, United States is one of the most religious countries in the world. And it is also one of the most religiously ignorant countries in the world. 40% of the population in questionnaires believe the world is 6,000 years old. 10% of the population in studies uh, believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. So those are examples of, of what it is uh, that we have to have to contend with. Um, Many people who say they're Bible-believing Christians have never read the Bible. Uh, Bart Ehrman, when he makes his presentations, there are many good YouTube videos of his pr presentations, um, one at the Commonwealth Club in San Francisco and a couple of other ones, where he says in the Bible classes that I teach at the University of North Carolina, I ask, uh, have a quiz, and I tell them if there are 10 questions, and if you get eight out of 10 correct, I'll buy you dinner at some famous place to eat in uh, wherever the University of North Carolina is, right? Chapel Hill. Chapel Hill, right. So he starts out and says things. He said, I have to put a few tough ones in there, but he said, how many of you believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God? All the hands go up. This is in the Bible Belt, remember. Uh, how many of you uh, know how many books there are in the New Testament? Maybe one hand. Right? So he proceeds to describe uh, a variety of these things, and it sort of is a testimony of this kind of, uh, of ignorance. So in some ways, we have our work cut out for us, not least within the Christian community or the professed Christian community itself in terms of the deep things of uh, Christian belief and faith. Uh, 
Alan Jones in a YouTube video I was watching also says some very interesting things. He sh my sentiments are almost completely aligned with his. Uh, he said, I don't want to throw out the virgin birth because I don't want to get rid of all those pictures. <laughs> so I don't care what you think about the intricacies of this or its truth, but anytime we see a woman with a baby, it gives us some idea of how the world ought to be. And when we see those Renaissance paintings of the Blessed Virgin Mary with the infant Jesus, they have an effect on us more than just an affirmation of a dogma. They mean something far more deep than that. Because the difference between the world of fact and the world of narrative and meaning are two sides of reality. And you and I have grown up in a culture that believes in one side, which are the facts. Science. This is not to keep uh, anything on science at all, but merely to say it's not the whole explanation. And so we need to be, we need to be aware of that. So Christmas is a time when we do, we, we speak about four affirmations, at least I always do. The affirmation of the goodness of our humanity, the affirmation that it is possible for each of us to achieve our highest human potential, the, the fact that Christian people uh, can be joyful, and finally, that Christian people should be people of peace. And this is very important. When we speak about the idea of achieving the highest of our uh, or, or the goodness of our humanity, we need to remember in Genesis it says, God saw everything God had made, and indeed it was very good. And so that's the default position for Christians about how human beings are. So I mentioned that Chief Leonard George, who is the chief of the Salish Band of Indians in North Vancouver, British Columbia, He's famous. His father was a, a, a chief in the same band and a movie actor, briefly, named Dan George, Chief Dan George, a long time ago. But Leonard George does a lot of work with uh, disaffected uh, youth in his tribe, in his band. And here's what he says about this, which I think has something to do with uh, the goodness of our humanity. He says, I wish for those young people when they get up in the morning and look in the mirror, they love, honor, and celebrate what they see. That's a pretty good sentiment for all of us, isn't it? And if we believe in the goodness of our humanity, uh, that's something that if we don't always feel it, we always can because of God's unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness. So developing the internal confidence uh, to, to believe that and to do that is, is an important thing. The second affirmation is that we believe that we can achieve the highest of our human potential. And when we may say that, it means that we believe that we are made for a purpose, that we are called to respond to being made in God's image, and that we can accomplish work by modeling what it means to be the best human beings we can be. And this is normally worked out in the ordinary and commonplace activities of our lives, 
where we are able to bring serenity, clarity, integrity, and generosity to all aspects of our relational life. Now, it requires certain uh, spiritual work, emotional work, to get to that place where we think and understand how we might be able to do that. It might involve what Alan Jones described in this YouTube video I saw, uh, achieving some species of, of uh, internal disarmament. You know what Paul says, I can't remember exact place, he said, uh, I f that there are th things are at war in my members, my body. Or the thing that I would want to do, I don't do, and the thing I don't want to do, I do. So somehow we have to achieve some species of uh, internal disarmament. You know, these things are very subtle. I, I grew up with the stuff that he describes. He said, I was raised in England in a rather poor family. But I grew up in the midst of the grand narrative of the English Empire and the English Commonwealth. So you'd go to school and you'd see a map with all this pink on it, which was Canada, England, Africa, India, Asia, all these places. So while I was, we were poor and so forth, uh, I realized this was, this was good and I would say, well, I'm, I'm English, at least I'm not Italian. <laughs> Right? This is, I mean, it's perfect, unconsciously uh, unaware of what that means. Or, I'm English, at least I'm not Irish. You know, it could be worse, right? In some sense, about all of that. And so, uh, achieving the highest of our human potential requires uh, the ability to uh, step away from, from this kind of un unconscious a way of understanding things. When I was a kid, my grandfather and my we'd get in the car and we'd go for rides in the car in the evening. And then we'd go to Shaw's ice cream place and then we'd have ice cream and then get back in the car and drive again. And he'd point out all the houses where everybody lived and what he knew and all this sort of thing like that. And sometimes we would drive on the El Camino by a, a piece of property where the building had been torn down and he would always say, I wonder what they're going to do with that piece of property. <laughs> it was never the idea, let's do nothing. Could we, could we do nothing? You know, let's leave it. It, it, it. It's the idea that, you know, the mainspring of human progress is going to be at work here and this is what we always have to labor to do instead of uh, see it in some kind of a, uh, use, the, use the imagination more wisely. So those things are necessary in order for us to be able to achieve the highest of our human potentiality. Joy in the Christian sense and in the books that write about the spiritual life is not a giddy hilarity. I always talk like Snoopy. I always used to think joy is like Snoopy dancing, you know, hilarious, wonderful stuff. And uh, <clears throat> joy is the sure and steady confidence 
that the conundrums, the ambiguities, the uncertainties, and the difficulties of life will come into surer and clearer focus as we live and seek to be attentive to what those things are and what they mean. How do we understand our life in this context, the internal processes uh, that are involved in this? The word that Jesus would have used for peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom is a very full concept. We're going to talk about another one in, when we get to John's Gospel. Shalom is not just peace. In English, we translate it as peace. But shalom can mean completeness, wholeness, health, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discord. So the peace that we proclaim on earth is not merely uh, the external peace or the absence of war, but it is all those qualities that both are outside ourselves and inside ourselves. And Christian people are, are about laboring to make peace, again, the default position for how human beings relate to one another. Every first Sunday after Christmas, we read the Johannine Prologue, chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And uh, there have been, uh, when I was in school, uh, there were people who thought the Johannine program, uh, Prologue was originally about John the Baptist and got recast in order to fit Jesus. So it, it certainly was added on to the gospel from another source, in all probability. But it is a description, uh, I agree with William Countryman, who taught New Testament for many years at CDSP, Church Divinity School of the Pacific. And he said that this gospel is about mystical union and how people understand mystical union uh, with Jesus and with God and w how it operates then in our, in our own lives. So let me read to you what he, how he describes that and explains it. I take mystical union to describe an, exper an experience of things or persons outside myself as direct and unmediated as my experience of myself is. At one level, this may be an experience of the order of the cosmos and my place in it. I remember, did any of you ever see Joseph Campbell and that whole section on the power of, you know? He said one time in the interview with Bill Moyers, he said, I was on the track team at Columbia University. And I was in the stadium standing on the track. And for a split second, I knew exactly who I was and what my place in the universe was. I had a, an experience of this, which he referred to as bliss. But it was the exhilarating feeling the, of the fact of how you fit in and you're part of the plan and that it is a good thing. So that's one way. At one level, this may be an experience of the order of the cosmos and my place in it in which case it is called mystical enlightenment. At another level, it may be an experience of full knowledge 
of another specific being, in which case it is called mystical union. Union can be understood as a com implying a complete dissolution of the human who enters into it or may appear as the complete opening of two realities, one into another. The latter interpretation is the more common within Christianity. In practice, it may not always be possible to distinguish enlightenment sharply from union, but I believe that John treats the former as a prelude to the latter. And I think that's consistent with Thomas Keating when he speaks about contemplative prayer and uh, oneness. And he uses the categories that Keating does of depth psychology when, you know, all this work has been done about our development is from babies into adulthood and how we uh, internally, uh, psychologically, emotionally uh, appropriate all of these things. So first of all, you've got to discover that you're a I then you discover that there are others and then you deal with I and the others and then as time goes on you discover that you're not two but one and so that's what Countryman is talking about when he speaks about this mystical union and that's why by the way people who, who, who speak about their experience uh, go back and back because they have, they've understood something about this unmediated uh, connection between uh, another being. So in the, in the introduction to John's Gospel we have, in the beginning was the Word. So in the Greek text, word is logos, which means word, or it can mean saying, speech, reason, plan, wisdom, or my favorite one, the organizing principle. So Christian people are organized around the, organ, around the, the principle of uh, the, Jesus and his humanity, the highest human being in potential terms we, we have ever known or seen. And also, we think about it in terms of the way in which we relate to one another. Because they believed that if God were walking around on the earth, that's who he'd look like. And they thought his words and his works were indistinguishable from the words and works of God. So, armed with this, Christian people believe they can go into the world and model the four affirmations in a way that's uh, very important about who they are and how they understand things. So I would suggest that this week uh, you think, remember Christmas is 12 days long, so you have a lot of time to, a word just came into my head that my family used to use. Did anybody in your families use the word cogitate? Do a little cogitating? Yeah. Think about how that works, you know. Uh, and cogitate about the four affirmations. <laughs> Amen. Amen.